It's episode 147 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Lucy Fennell. Hello. Hello, how are Hello. you? I'm very good, thank you, yes. We are locking ourselves down <laughs> doing a podcast. Yes, uh, I feel it's, uh, how can I contribute to the morale <laughs> of the country and beyond. Yeah. This this is my best. It might do something. Well, people have a lot of time on their hands, so uh, that's all we can do. I mean, yeah. I, um, I'm very much not able to contribute to the medical uh, front. So no. um, It would be good for a bit of escapism for us, even. Yes. For me, I could do this, just yes. talking about improv for a, a bit. Good. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. very much the right place. Yes. If you didn't like talking about improv, <laughs> yeah, I, I could would leave have, now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we could give it a go, but I'll talk about something else. Um, yeah. Lots of things to talk about. Yes. Um, tell me about the Dirty Picnic Club. Yes, uh, the Dirty Picnic Club is uh, a show that. I directed at the Bristol Improv Theatre recently and um, we've had three of them, one a month, which in retrospect has been many shows to do, to come up with an entirely new, I'll explain it, but it's been a very close thing to do it every month, which doesn't sound a lot for an improv show, but this particular show, one a month is a big ask and has uh, really driven me driven me quite mad. Oh. <laughs> but, um, so there's been some enjoyment and a sort of deep relief really to reach the the third one and maybe have a little break before I work out what's going to happen with it next so yeah shall I try and explain it because it is it's quite a beast really um so I I think maybe actually I should go back a bit and explain uh, another show that I did at the Bristol Improv Theatre called Is It Improvised Does It Matter Um, which was an experimental show that the Bristol Improv Theatre kindly let me do an R&D of. So I had a whole week living in their accommodation. Their their rooms in their accommodation are named Zip Zap Boing, which is absolutely (laughs) brilliant. And you know you're in the right place when you you see those on the doors. Um, And yeah, it was was great. So I, I spent a week there working with a cast and developing a show that we then tested out where essentially uh, some of the scenes were entirely improvised and some of the scenes were entirely scripted from improv. And then the audience had to guess which was which. <sighs> so the idea was to make the the improv as uh, scripted sounding as possible and with subtext. And it was, it was trying to do kind of standalone vignettes, really, theatrical vignettes. And... Then we tried to make the scripted stuff as scripted and rehearsed as possible, um, but it had to seem kind of spontaneous and momentary oh. on the night. What we didn't do and what I didn't want to do was to reduce the quality of the rehearsed scenes in mm. order to make them seem more improvised. Right, <laughs> you know, okay. You could easily add in some mistakes with names or things like that, but we didn't do that. We tried to heighten everything, so we rehearsed those scenes as well as possible, um, incorporating loads of kind of dramatic tropes that I don't tend to see in improv maybe I you know I only see what I see so uh, I'm sure there's lots of other people doing this sort of great work but trying to include kind of direct address or physical sequence like opening a scene with a physical sequence kind of very physical theatre actually um, looking at ways of incorporating lists or asides or kind of in a contemporary theatre mm-hmm. bent you know um, using found objects uh, in the space, 
um, yeah, and incorporating all of that stuff and using music as well quite a lot. And so a lot of the improvised tech, bringing it back midway through the scene. Anyway, yeah, so we put all these scenes kind of side by side and it was great for the actors as well because uh, they, they kind of had to do this double think of in a scene that was scripted, setting it out at the beginning like it was an improv scene so kind of where do I put this chair <laughs> making the decision of where to place it and looking as though they're initiating the scene and then the audience had p- bits of paper and had to guess which was which and uh, yeah largely they got some of them right they got some of them wrong mm. there was one scene in particular that was improvised but everyone was convinced it was scripted wow. which was um, so uh, it was uh, John Gallagher and uh, Alison Cowling, and they initiated the scene standing back to back, backs against each other, looking outwards, and then one of them proceeded to mime eating off a dinner plate, and then, unbeknownst to everybody in the audience, the other person saw the shadow of the other person, (sighs) and then did the same. But to anybody in the audience, they'd never looked at each other. And they had both started miming eating. So everyone ticked the scripted box because... (laughs) And it became a scene about a couple who, you know, the symbolism of they were sat eating this meal together but never looking into their own relationship but always looking out at everyone else and criticising everyone else they saw but never looking in at themselves, you know. So it was a really... It was really beautiful. It was possibly one of my favourite improv scenes I've ever seen, I think. Um, I think it was called Prawns, which was an audience suggestion. So actually, I lie, one member of the audience who suggested that in the hat before the show would have Uh, known that that scene was their suggestion. So they would have had a lovely, secret (laughs) little moment knowing that. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it really raised the game, and that's what I really loved about it, because I just felt that in my own improv... There's always an element of you can fall back on the fact that it's improvised and there's just not quite as much risk there because there's an agreement between you and the audience that things will go wrong and mistakes will happen. And that's obviously so much of the joy of it. But I was like, well, what what if we have to try and, you know, we have to raise the stakes of keeping that to ourselves we can't let those mistakes we can't stumble over our words in the way that an actor shouldn't unless it's in the script stumble over their words Mm. and we mustn't say uh i mean you know and all those hedging fillers that are allowed they are allowed and tolerated and overlooked by improv audiences and audiences um yeah and, and so these actors were really happy. And it meant that there were so many more moments of silence. Because you couldn't speak over each other, you know. Um, in the improv? Yeah, in the improv, ah. yeah. Because if it's, you're trying to make it look like it's scripted and that a line is a line is a line. Or if you do speak over, you need to look at, make it look as though that was rehearsed. Right, interesting. But it just meant that it took that gas off it slightly. It took the gas off a little bit, took the pedal off and just made it slightly slower and it's weird to talk about quality but I do feel like there there was a certain upwards shift in what I would gauge as quality in terms mm. of slower quiet you know quiet slow burn deliberate mm. bigger risks and also just the content of the scenes if you're writing and scripting a scene you're going to start with you know you're either going to start with a really uh, big move or you're going to incorporate a big move at some point 
uh, a revelation or a moment of drama or and I guess as well it gives you permission to move away from your own biography that you bring to your improv so much of it is close to self mm. but if it's scripted that gives you permission to play something you wouldn't normally mm. play because you've given time into the characters and yeah mm. anyway I'm rambling on no 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 this is <laughs> very much the place to ramble on um, I'm really interested in the use of silence uh, mm. in improv and also saying fewer words, but having those words have more importance when you do speak. Ironically, I have not done that <laughs> well, this, the entire opening. Well, no, this is, this is a different this is a podcast. The gas well. has been off. No, 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 definitely. No, no, no. That's no criticism there. No. Yeah, no, it was very nice what you said, but uh, you could just say it with more pauses. Yeah, we could be more concise. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm very, and it also it shows confidence. It shows, yeah. shows an audience, okay, they know what they're doing. Mm. Um, and then when you make a move, it's like, oh, okay. Mm. And it just gives the audience like space um, just to kind of, you know, to sort of draw it all in and everything. I think it's far more like you're, you're, you're crafting it internally before putting it out there. You know, that you're crafting it and shaping it. And then, whereas I often feel, and again, a lot of this is coming from my own, <laughs> my own personal experience of, of performing, is that you sort of can put everything out there um, and then you craft, or you all have to make sense of all the stuff you've thrown out. Oh, that's interesting. You know, and uh, yeah, I like I like the idea of being selective, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That suggests that you're editing? Well, I guess you're self-editing, which is what you're supposed to not do. And this yeah. is where it's a very interesting thing because, you know, the analogy of this is improv's a game of ping pong. I think that's, it might be Steve Rowe. I don't know. I want to credit whoever said it. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, someone wonderful has said it to me at some point of, you know, improv's ping pong, it's not chess. Mm. But actually, I think I've been playing with more the idea that it, of playing it as chess. Ooh, yes. um, slow, deliberate. Bold. Yes. Uh, I don't. I, I hesitate to say risky, but it sounds far too cool. <laughs> <laughs> Edgy, <laughs> which I am not um, considered. I guess. Uh, yeah, but with um, conviction, mm. which is what you say about what you've said about confidence. Mm. Um, yeah, grounded. Hmm. Trying to fold improv back in with theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More and more and more. Cool. That sounds like yeah. a really interesting team. I didn't get to the end of bringing even up to Dirty Picnic Club, but. No, carry on. Go carry on. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so we did that. Um, lots of findings from that, including that it felt a little bit like the. I sort of alienated the audience a bit because they want to come and see something that they're sharing in and they're being part of. And actually what we did is create a big, in not an in-joke, but certainly a load of knowledge that we had of, we know the answers, we know what is and isn't improvised, and you're guessing, and it's a test. And it sort of, although people enjoyed it and they took it in really good spirit, mm. and it was lots of people who love improv, which is great, it was an element of, you need to fill in the answers and then we're going to tell you whether you were right or not. Mm. And so some of the feedback a lot was that, 
yeah, it was kind of alienating. And also people saying, well, if I'd known that really good scene about the prawns was improvised, I'd have enjoyed it more. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so the answer was, is it improv? Does it matter? Yes. Which <laughs> 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 is <just> great. <laughs> Very much out there to prove, <laughs> disprove my own hypothesis. Um, so it matters because... It matters because uh, they want to know that it's... They want to join in on it's the, you know they want to join in on the process of it being created. Right. Um, so it was kind of just a bit of a one-trick pony and a bit of a, a gimmick, but it was a really good experiment to do. But I didn't want to alienate the audience. Of course, no. of course, that is not <laughs> what it's about. Um, and so I kind of started to think on how I could do the opposite of that and. Then, uh, wonderful Caitlin Campbell keeps off, you know, is offering me these opportunities to come and actually put these ideas I'm having uh, onto the stage. So uh, I got invited back to to do this sort of reworking of uh, part two, really, of of this kind of thought process. And Dirty Picnic Club kind of was the the initial kind of idea around it, and it's unrelated to the name, which is completely arbitrary, really. um, Other than the fact it's a club that we kind of invite the audience in on is to put the audience in the position of the producers of the show pretty much uh it came from the idea that a lot of the patter around improv and in improv shows is especially to non-improv audiences if you think of you know edinburgh and kind of edinburgh festival punters uh come and see this show it's completely improvised we've got no idea what's going to happen we're going to be on our toes making it up as we go along is this is the cell and i kind of from doing impromptu Shakespeare, where people are, you know, often it's like, I can't believe you're improvising Shakespeare. I, I speak for myself and for no one else in the team when I say that um, I, I find myself very comfortable <laughs> with the idea that I'm about to go on and do something that's going to be attempting to be as close to Shakespeare as possible. Um, in the, it's, it's not a spoof, you know, it's, it's trying to, to, to do beautiful poetry alongside stories and, and everything else. But... Uh, I don't get that same fear. And to say I've no idea what's going to happen isn't completely true. Because I know that one of sev- like one of many things will happen. Mm. And I don't mean one of two stories that we've prearranged. I mean, and I don't even mean a structure, although I think that's an interesting separate <laughs> conversation. But, um, I, you know, it's completely unstructured. But I do know that, you know, it's going to be, there might be love. There's probably going to be love in it. There's probably going to be somebody get killed possibly both, possibly at the same time, which has happened, <laughs> which is brilliant. Um, you know, there, there'll be some language stuff that we have practised. And it's not quite that same thing of we have no idea and we're on the you know the tips of our toes. And it's not as high adrenaline as that's suggesting. So I was like, well, how can I create a, a genuinely terrifying experience for these improvisers where and terrifying is the wrong word but (laughs) to really throw them and I wanted to kind of I keep talking about kind of um um pushing slightly pushing them off balance if we are balancing we're always kind of rebalancing ourselves and saying yeah this is absolutely terrifying but I'm all right we've done a warm-up and you're working at rebalancing and I really wanted to just knock off center and see what that does for the free flow of authenticity and emotional 
uh, any you know any sort of emotional recollection they want to bring into it, any autobiography that, that people want to bring into it, obviously if they want to, um, and jog them slightly in a safe way, mm. <laughs> which will tie into the intimacy stuff, I guess, as well, <laughs> um, and kind of looking after people. But so I had this I had this idea there was going to be three shows. Um, each was going to have a different theme and be an entirely standalone thing. And that was my first mistake because yes. that is exhausting. That sounds exhausting, uh, yes. And it has been. Um, yeah. And so the show's rough premise is the, the, the improvisers know absolutely nothing about what's going to happen. And that's absolutely true. I rehearse them. I've been trying to put in a bit of kind of Darren Brown stuff where I'm suggesting stuff throughout the rehearsals to wow. kind of get them in a position where they might be. I'll give you some examples of that. Yeah. But, you know, trying to get them uh, in the right headspace without them knowing what that headspace is. So Ooh. rather than saying, OK, we're going to be doing uh, a, sh- a show with lots of scenes, standalone scenes, and they're all going to be around the theme of fear and you're going to have objects that will Uh, provoke you in some way which is what the first one was the first one was fear and that's the thing you find out actually and some of the feedback I've had from the improvisers taking part is god you don't realize how much you actually know before a show and how much importance is placed on the things we do know such as what suggestions are we getting where are we going to stand in between scenes? Mm. How long is each scene going to be? How will we know when the scene's over? What will we do at the end? Who's going to top and tail the show? What's the vibe we're going for with the audience? What's the tone of it? What's the tone of the scenes? And I haven't been able to give them any of that at all. <laughs> and that really does freak improvisers out. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I do yeah. find it very interesting, as in not uh, in this show, but even just every improv show I do, I sort of laugh at how much effort has to go into the, the stuff that's scripted at the beginning yeah, and the end, yeah. of, you know, the, the taking of suggestions and how much we stress over, you know, well, in impromptu Shakespeare, who's wearing the britches? Who's, who's giving out the balls? Right, well, am I standing here? And who, well, who's saying this bit? And we've got sort of a bit at the beginning where you do have those bits of housekeeping you've got to take care of. And it's always very, it's more stressful than anything else that happens in the show <laughs> is the order that we do this in and who's doing what. So, so I took that all away. But uh, in the in the well in the second month one that the theme of that one was nostalgia and so I did lots of nostalgic things throughout the day I brought in some nostalgic crisps that I had at lunch and I <laughs> played some nostalgic music and I sort of in the breaks in between was talking to them about things trying to push the conversation towards stuff to do with childhood and you know and kind of things that would suggest that sort of thing. I feel like I haven't explained what the show is and it's really hard to explain. Perhaps I could tell you about some things that happened in the first one. That would be lovely. Great. Because I read the reviews. Did you? And I I thought, well, they loved the show. I'm not sure I understand what the show was from that description. No, I'm sure. It's been a constant battle (laughs) in terms of trying to sell it as well because (laughs) you can't even tell the audience anything. All you can say is... If you buy your ticket, you'll receive a secret email that tells you everything you need to know. Wow. You know. So, okay, uh, fear was the first theme. Uh, so, in that show, things included, uh, we hired a clown who <laughs> turned up in a scene uh, and was a mystery person <laughs> who just rocked up. I should say as well, the, the, the format of that show was uh, we had benches at the front of the stage and in between every scene, the improvisers would go and sit on that bench and face out towards the audience the audience would see a powerpoint so no, no one's fronting the show it's just a powerpoint a bit like a robot <laughs> that's fronting the show so the words 
us are revealed behind the improvisers, viewed by the audience, not viewed by the improvisers. But the audience can see the improvisers' faces and the improvisers can see the reactions of the audience. Oh, wow. So if, for example, the thing that is behind says, um, uh, the next scene, uh, the the improvisers will have to perform from inside this box and the scene is called claustrophobia. You know, and then they get a flash. The the uh, improvisers will get a flash of the lights, and at that point, they know they can turn around and they will receive the instructions, which say this next scene must be performed inside this box. We've got a giant cardboard box, and then we put them in it. Um, other examples in that: uh, what Sam doesn't know. So this is happening behind them. What Sam doesn't know is he's about to lead a ghost tour for a select member of a few members of the audience around Clifton. So then, bless Sam, he turns around, nothing's on the board anymore. We give him a hat, a cape and a torch. And some <laughs> members of the audience who we've pre-arranged come down and follow him. And we whack the doors of the theatre open and he's sent out into the street with a chaperone to stop him getting knocked over by a car, because I'm not a monster. Um, and he led an improvised ghost tour that was a mini show within the show. Wow. <laughs> um, so stuff like that uh, the last scene was um, the audience knew again the audience have all got the upper hand on this the last scene was uh, called fear of networking so I was trying to think of different angles on fear so what the improvisers don't know is that the last scene is going to be a networking event that you're all invited to so when the improvisers bow we want you to join everybody on the stage we'd given everybody a my name is sticker <laughs> and there was a 20 minute it was the longest networking event I've ever been to <laughs> where people volunteered to stay in that room <laughs> for around 20 minutes <laughs> I put on the board you know feel free to leave and go to the bar whenever you want <laughs> one of the improvisers said you know I, I realised halfway through that it was probably fear or as the theme and I thought you know what I'm not that scared up until network <laughs> and then I was afraid um, yeah we got the, the audience to bring in an unsettling object Ooh. So then we used the unsettling objects as the stimulus for the scene. So this, so so that was so they got this secret email. Yeah. And in the email, it told them to bring in an unsettling yes. object. So all the emails are kind of worded like um, something we want you to do now and something we want you to do later. Oh, they have so to that, do homework. So the, yeah. Wow. So exactly, and so that the now was uh, send us a, a video or a picture that is unnerving or scary. So we had lots of obviously brilliant different takes on that from gore and horror to uh, a wedding <laughs> which inspired a beautiful scene uh, as well and and it, it follows the thing of as I said the improvisers tonight know nothing about the show other than uh, it's that it's going to be improvised <laughs> that's it you know and the first scene we'd set up a Ouija board which I was really worried about doing that because I thought do you know some of these improvisers I don't know if I'd go on stage and interact with a Ouija board I'm not particularly superstitious but I think I would feel a little uh with it being a real thing as opposed to a mimed prop I think I'd feel a little bit ill at ease but they were not they all just came straight in there were candles everywhere it was really creepy (laughs) and they came straight in and attacked this scene really uh but that that was another interesting thing I found was like managing the the way the improvisers enter the space so again usually as a team, you know, an improv team, you've been in the space, you've warmed up in the space, you've worked out where everything's going to be, you've chatted to the tech, you've done all this 
preparation that puts you at ease or more at ease than you Mm. would be if you hadn't done it with this one all the audience knew what was going to happen they'd all brought the stuff they'd all come into the space first they'd seen a powerpoint with telling them all the stuff all the surprises we'd got planned all the twists that were going to happen and the audience sort of giggle along in glee because of the preemptive kind of element and then we brought the and I kept these the improvisers backstage uh hidden up all hold away and then brought them down and said I'm going to send you in now and then your first scene will start as soon as you walk on the stage wow. you'll find something and that's your first scene I also, just to freak them out, gave them all a chewable blood capsule <laughs> before they walked on. So not to chew, right. but just I went, you might need this at some point, thinking <laughs> just, you know, there might be a scene where that comes into it. But somebody did try and use it in a scene about an alien chest popping thing. Um, yeah. But there's a, there's a lot of psychology of just not knowing something. Those improvisers were running around and really up the walls. I'm making it sound like it was a horrific experience for them. They all came back and, and did it again. So, uh, yeah. Well, it's all about being in the moment. Mm. And I like to think that improvisers are more in the moment than maybe actors are. Mm. But even what you were doing with your previous show was making sure that actors were more in mm. the moment. And that's when things come alive. It's like right. when you have a show, um, a scripted show, and there's a, a mistake or something goes wrong and suddenly, bang, everyone's in the room. And that's the bit the audience loves. And, you know, oh, you know, now we're actually in this moment and, yeah, we know it's scripted, but it's happening now. Yeah, it does. It, it just sort of reveals something, doesn't it? Or lifts a veil mm. yeah. of some kind. Yeah, and I'm, it is those little moments that tantalise me the most, I think. And, yeah, and, and, and it does. It puts everyone more in the moment than they could possibly ever be in the moment. Yes. And actually, I learnt that in the... And again, all three of these shows have sort of been an evolution of each other because I haven't then repeated... I've deliberately not repeated the same thing again. Because you can't. Because if you're trying to surprise them, they're less surprised if they know that's going to happen again, yeah, yeah, yeah. but with a different theme, but it's just going to be objects or, you know. So, um, what were they saying? Yeah, so I tried to... Yeah, I've lost my train of thought can't remember yeah I, I i was trying to make them more in the moment than they've ever been in the moment uh and to my detriment that it didn't work out because after the first one i realized that actually if you surprise people too much they just stop acting <laughs> and all you see is that actual human being <laughs> being surprised about a thing <laughs> Which is delightful in its own way, but maybe not what you were trying to achieve. <laughs> no, so we had somebody as a clown, we had a clown turn up. So they all sat on these benches, you know, the lights flicker, they turn around, they don't notice him, and then they notice him, and he's just there with two pints uh, in his full clown regalia, ready to, to do this scene. And actually, you think, what a gift for an improviser that you've got a fully dressed clown with a pint. There's many options of how to initiate that scene in a beautiful way. <laughs> yes. but, but Alison, bless her, just was like a clown and she turned into Alison meeting a clown <laughs> and started kind of and she's a wonderful improviser but started like hello <laughs> something like that you know there's so much you could do with it but when you're genuinely surprised and off you know off centre uh, it, it becomes but that's also beautiful to watch and the audience did enjoy watching Alison meet a clown <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wanted them to use it and take it, um, which is my failure in my direction as much as anything. 
yeah. So then the second one was nostalgia, and I thought, well, gosh, uh, what am I going to do to try and make this surprising for them again? We had new, a guest every time, so that there was always at least somebody for whom it was entirely brand new. Um, and so I, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I have all these ideas, all these thoughts of how to change the the energy of it, the... Um, kind of the feel of it so it wasn't the shape of it so it wasn't just segments of standalone scenes with a prompt that was always either a picture or an object um and so I was dreaming up all these ideas and then down down the route of nostalgia and then I was laying in bed one night I thought, oh, brilliant you can't repeat the past and I thought we'll make the second half a complete copy of the first half, like Groundhog Day. Whoa. So all of the provocations they get given would be exactly the same in the second half. And so what we ended up doing, I mean, this is complex, so strap in, because this is is too (laughs) dense, but it's really worth it, and you didn't have to be there at all. Um, So I researched loads of old school friends of the cast on Facebook. There's some ethical issues here, I'm not going to lie. Um, I should have explained as well, and I'm going to come back to this, but I did a lot of work around keeping people emotionally safe right, in this okay. show. Just We'll come back to it, I'm sure, but I did a lot of work around emotional safety, uh, sort of emotional intimacy, and making sure people had boundaries that I knew not to go past. Cool. I just want to say that, because otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> like a complete maverick. <laughs> um, so yes, I, I contacted various people, including siblings, and a lot of these people as well. I don't know very well. Then you know they're wonderful people. They're not necessarily like my best friends who I've known for years or anything. So we don't have mutual friends particularly. Um, so I, I I tracked these people down, and I gave them all the task, all these friends and relatives, the task of recording a quotation about nostalgia that I'd found. So it was either a definition or something to do with where nostalgia came, you know, the word nostalgia came from, which I believe was to do with um, the the war and soldiers coming back um, and feeling sad but reminiscent. And, yeah. Uh, I gave them all these quotes to record and I said, please record these quotes, but then also record a personal memory that you have of this person, <laughs> right? With the idea being that in the first half, every scene would be punctuated at the end by the playing of one of these quotations, which would be spoken in the voice of someone that someone knew, <laughs> either distantly or more recently. I thought, ah, oh, they'll recognise that and maybe that will put them in a nostalgic feel for the next scene it won't necessarily influence the next scene but it might there might be a uh, a sort of tangible connection to something and then in the second half when it all repeats again we'll play in that same segment where we played the quotation from the old friend we'll play the memory Uh. of you know and I thought and then they'll they'll clock into it so that was one thing that's happening then the other thing that's happening is various scenes with various provocations. So, for example, one scene, uh, they were simply given some some soil and bulbs and plant pots. That same scene in the second half, they were given it, but the plants had grown. So the, oh, I replaced wow. them in the interval with yeah, plants so that amazing. it showed the passing of time. Uh, in the first uh, half, we gave one of the provocations was a jigsaw. 
um, the idea of being piecing things together and perspective and all that kind of thing. And then in the second half, there was also a jigsaw, but it was a jigsaw that I'd printed of Caitlin and her friend, um, <laughs> Imogen. And it was an old photo. So as she's putting this jigsaw together, it's revealing an old photo and the last piece Imogen had in the audience to put in. Um, so some of them worked like that with those little tweaks of difference and and uh, we had we did one that was a blue peter make theme so we got the audience to all bring in things that could be used in a blue peter make and put them out on the table on this make and do table and this instruction to the improvisers was construct a narrative <laughs> and then in the second half we put all the same things out and said deconstruct a narrative oh. <laughs> so they did something quite funny with that anyway to my surprise in between each scene i watched their faces no one recognised a voice. Oh, interesting. I'm watching their faces. This is one of them's sister was speaking, <laughs> and she had a very distinctive voice, and and didn't didn't recognise at all. And then in the second half, these memories were coming out, and they almost didn't recognise them then. Wow. Because it was in a different headspace, I guess. Yeah. They just thought it was just random voiceovers. Um, I started each, the beginning of the first half, I put the improvisers into a tent, <laughs> a four-man <laughs> tent, um, almost as the idea of sort of birthing them at the beginning, and played all this kind of, played various things, you know, the sunscreen song, yeah, 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 yeah. played that in the space as the audience were coming in, and then, you know, on the screen, says we've put, so we've put the improvisers in this tent uh, with some popping candy and wagon wheels, <laughs> and when you, and I said to them, when you leave, when you hear the sound of birds singing, that's the time to leave the tent, and that's when the first scene will start. <laughs> and in between scenes, you have to come and sit on the benches at the front, and, you know, and hear these things. So it's kind of a giving them like a tapas of stimuli, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. So that was. I mean, I don't know what I created. <laughs> they enjoyed it. They said it felt like being in an immersive experience. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. So it's an immersive experience for the performers that should heighten the improv and didn't always <laughs> because of the aforementioned thing about too much stimuli. Um, and I guess as well, when you give people specific props and things, it takes away the world of creation of anything you want in the way that you have complete free reign if there's nothing in the space. Yes, although there's part of me... I mean, I've just experienced seeing improvisers being given props and they just right. love them. They just go yeah. crazy for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's like being an artist and you've got a complete blank piece of paper mm. and if you can draw anything, that can be quite intimidating. But if you're given limitations, mm. I don't know. Like the bottleneck effect. Yeah. 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 You'd think, I, I just ended, I think <laughs> none of them would be upset with me saying that in a very joyful way. And, and, you know, it's as much down to the way I directed it or didn't. Um, they, it was just, here's a person who is loving the fact this jigsaw is a picture of them and their old friend, which is wonderful to yeah, watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, but you're not watching a construction of a story as much. Right. So that was really interesting. And then the final one that's just happened, I thought, well, it's going to have to be long form to kind of throw it again. Um, so we did a very convoluted thing where... Two people uh, were genuinely not in on it in the cast, but then we created everybody else was a mole, and they were in on it but pretending not to be in on it. Right. The rest of the cast. Okay. So it was supposed to be. So it was an improvised love story. 
but no one, they didn't know the two people and we fixed it so they ended up being the protagonists. I did a drawing of straws for who was the protagonist <laughs> of this story five minutes before the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd all planned who the characters are, not really the story because you can't control that. Yeah. And it was all set in one location. So we built a beautiful friends style flat uh, in, the, in the space. And just and then five minutes before the show started, I said to them all, but obviously a load of them were pretending that they didn't know, but they did, which was so confusing. <laughs> right, what you don't know is tonight you're going to be doing a long-form story uh, in the same location, and we're going to draw straws for who the protagonists of that story are. <laughs> so then we drew straws, it was a fix... Um, I said, everyone shut your eyes. The two protagonists, open your eyes. So they thought then they had the upper hand because they thought uh, they were the only two who knew they were the protagonists. The audience know all of this because we've told them in a very uh, extravagant PowerPoint with pictures that we've been planning it all along. Um, and then one of the protagonists, we'd, we'd also put, made this flat full of stuff that was to do with the two protagonists oh, in wow. real life. So... Dan was Dan South uh, was playing one of them, and Caitlin was playing the other. And Dan did a PhD in, I think, con- contemporary American literature or something. And so, we, oh no, just contemporary literature. Anyway, we put a load of Zadie Smith novels because he'd studied her. Uh, so you could see in the scene, he sort of clocked that they were on the shelf <laughs> and kind of realised and made a comment about it in the scene because I guess he must have just thought how fortuitous that <laughs> I know this um, but we'd also put like every text I'd know he's very close friends so I knew a lot of texts he studied at university and we put those around and just tried to make it personalised to those people and god it was a beautiful story it was <laughs> such a beautiful story and uh, yeah we, we arranged so that Dan used to be in a band when he was uh, younger and we and now one of his bandmates is in a much more popular band, <laughs> much more successful band. And we managed to get him to turn up, stand backstage and at the most poignant romantic moment start playing a beautiful love song oh, that wow. was from their band. And the scene ended with Dan mouthing the words to wow. Caitlin's character. Um, it was really, it was really beautiful. Yeah. It was, it was just gorgeous. That sounds amazing. Yeah. But, you know, it's, do, it's doing this thing, isn't it? Talking about improv <laughs> when you don't see it. Oh, but... well, I mean, you've done it very well because often uh, when you try and describe a scene, it's like trying to describe a dream. It's yeah. fine if you experienced it, but otherwise it doesn't seem to make it. It is sense. a bit like that. But with this show, I wouldn't be able to explain it in a way that paraphrased it because, mm. as you can tell, it's yeah. quite complex. <laughs> so each one was quite a feat to pull off. And, uh, yeah, can't be done again. No. Well, this all sounds amazing, <laughs> but it also seems a lot of work, yeah. a phenomenal amount of work must have gone into this. Yes. So what were you, why? Why? Yeah, good, really good question. Um, what was, well, to use a horrible phrase, what's your return on investment? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, with so many of these things, it's, it's scratching an itch, isn't it? I think. Um, and... Why? Why? Um, for those heightened moments of authenticity, for for the improvisers who had genuine moments of where they were genuinely moved and that informed their work. Right. That's why. Because I, again, I, I know Daniel Saf very well and uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen him improvise like that before. There was something there that just 
I think, unless I'm reading into it too much, just hinged hinged him across the barrier from complete fiction into something that I think was rooted in to sound cheesy in his heart, you know? His something that really resonated with who he was when he was back in that band yeah. in his teenage years and everything that writing love songs as a teenager must represent that I'm sure must have in some way informed that moment and and softened the emotions around that moment mm. in a way that created a very tangible moment of authentic emotion. So I guess the reason why is to immerse to safely and supportively and very carefully (laughs) immerse performers enough in something that moves them provokes them or moves them in such a way that it heightens or enhances the work I would say brilliant and they're they're maybe accessing things that they wouldn't normally access. Yeah, I hope. And that didn't happen for everyone, probably. But I, I'm just going to say that Caitlin Campbell did say, you know, it's the she thinks it's her favourite improv show she's ever been in, wow. that particular one. Yeah. So, you know, she's done a lot of shows. She has, she's done yes. a lot of shows, so I'm <laughs> feeling quite proud about that. Uh, she said as well, it's like... Um, it's like someone's thrown you a surprise party and you've no idea what the party's going to be. Yes. But you know it's going to be great. Yes. And it's interesting yeah. how you've got members of the audience to, um, to contribute, you know, pictures mm. and things like that. So they feel that their stories have been celebrated. Mm. Then you've done the same thing for the people who are actually in the show. Yeah. You've, you're celebrating their real life and then using that as a stepping stone to create art. Mm, Yeah, yeah. For the audience for that one, we simply got them to... Well, I say simply, we got them to bring along something that would go in a couple's flat. Oh, right. So they brought along various things. So the the set was built... The detail... I love details in in things as well. So all these little details of things they brought along to sort of populate this, this setting made it such a rich setting because we had things in the drawers and receipts tucked into books and I just I love that in an immersive theatre kind of way of saying play with the space you're in saying to the actors play with the space you're in and unfold things and read receipts and (laughs) use the tube map that's on the side in spite there's just everything well I always said tried to make it as a tagline for the show but everything is a suggestion Mm. The, the stuff you did before is a suggestion the fact you had some popping candy in that tent is a suggestion <laughs> the fact that um, you know bef- before the show I was we had uh, voicemails pre-recorded as well by uh, Rosie Fordham who's uh, again a dear friend and is in Impromptu Shakespeare and uh, we got her to record them as though she's Dan's mum and we know this is, she's somebody who will make Dan laugh all the time so we, we got her to record and she uh, had this phrase kept saying um, I'm just ringing, I'm just giving you the ring, I'm just giving you the ring to say blah de blah and it became like a character <laughs> thing, but we had a an engagement ring as part of the, it never got used, yeah. but we said to the audience, we've got an engagement ring just in case, with the idea that we could lead towards this this moment, it actually never happened, but, um, but you know, to surreptitiously kind of influence 
give give him. The, I've just given you the ring, just in case it came <laughs> up and then he'd know to do it. The old Darren um, Brown, which I'm absolutely not qualified to do, but is he? So. <laughs> Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, emotional safety and boundaries and making mm. sure that you looked after your cast and mm. you manipulated them in a responsible way. Yeah. My word, <laughs> not yours. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, really important. Um, so uh, I'm training as an intimacy director, um, which is somebody who uh, choreographs um, safe, consensual, simulated scenes of sex or other types of anything that could be regarded as intimacy which of course doesn't have to be romantic intimacy um it could be familial or you know friendship based or whatever um and so i'm training with uh intimacy intimacy directors international uk uh and obviously that's not for improv that's Hmm. for scripted choreographed work kind of like uh, a, a fight director would choreograph a fight um and but there's been so many interesting crossovers with that work that has absolutely informed the improv work that i'm doing and and specifically this this project so um for example they sort of look at the idea of not just a safe space but an open space so the idea being that you know there's something slightly odd about saying to somebody this is a safe space. In other words, whatever you're feeling, don't worry. It's a safe. I'm telling you, it's a safe space, so you have no reason to feel like you're feeling. You know. Whereas open spaces, it's an open space where if you feel uncomfortable, you can talk about it, and we will adapt, and we will adjust, right. and we will move. It's a flexible space. There's something slightly, uh, yeah, didactic about saying it is a safe space end of story right, yes. you know regardless you, of whether you feel safe yeah, or not yeah exactly yeah. yeah so that's quite an interesting one and also looking at um kind of uh brave zone, safe safe zone and sort of brave zone or stretch zone so uh the idea that you can be safe but be uncomfortable which i think is quite interesting so you can be yeah you can be aware that you're you're uh opting to you're pushing yourself into working into stuff that maybe feels precarious for you but in a way that might be momentarily uncomfortable or precarious but you're willing to explore in the work that you're doing Interesting. but you know that you're ultimately you feel safe doing it but you know you're stretching into something you're not in an unsafe place and I'm talking about purely emotionally sort of emotional intimacy as opposed to any physical touch. But that was a kind of revelation to me because I guess I'd kind of seen it as a binary of you're in a safe space or you're not. And actually, it's a really magic thing if you can create an open space where people feel, well, you've put a few things in place, which I'll talk about in a minute, and you've opened up the space so that people feel able to take you aside or email you or whatever and say, Actually, I was pushing into that, but I don't think I want to anymore. And then you open up that playground a little bit more to try things out. To, For example, to use biography in a way. You know, There might be elements in your own life that you previously would keep off stage, but you're willing to explore within the rehearsal process. That's interesting. You know, which I think is quite interesting. Um, yeah. Yes. So some of the things I put in place, I mean, one of the big things was sending out an email uh, that was a confidential questionnaire to everybody who took part 
just simply saying, because I had all these ideas about, are you afraid of spiders? Do you yeah. like, I mean, there were no spiders in the show. <laughs> are you okay with this? What, you know, yeah. and are you, do you have any allergies? And actually, all that you need to ask is, what is it that you think I need to know? Interesting. That I'm going to try and provoke you in a way that is delightful, hmm. that is inspiring, that is provoking, uh, but not horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not scary, not upsetting or triggering. Um, but what do I need to know? And then we all know the answer to that. We, we have our things and yeah. we know what they are and we know what our boundaries are. And obviously it, it required those people to trust me a lot to be able to send those things. And, yes. and that's, a, um, that's really great that, that they do and, and, and they should. Um, but it just meant that I was able to steer away from elements that I knew that people didn't, didn't want to bring on stage. Yeah. Um, and also for them to tell me what they did like, so I could push into the stuff that they really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some people love being picked up, don't they? Or yes. um, love singing or whatever. Even, uh, you know, even speaking to people who were like, yeah, I want to experiment with nudity on stage. Like, that, that never <laughs> happened. But, you know, different, different things for different people. Um, and knowing what people's go zones are and no go zones are is, is having that knowledge allowed for greater pushing yes. on my part um, yeah so that was good I mean I find oh, the whole discussion of boundaries really interesting mm-hmm. and um, I do a bit of tabletop role playing and there's similar discussions going there about you know you know yeah I suppose it's, it's understanding the people that you're playing with and understanding where you can go and where not to go and actually that enables you to go further um, mm. because you've got that trust. Mm. And that you don't always get it right. That's another thing that I've done in my training is like how to be called out, how mm. to be called out on something and how mm. to deal with that and how to not put that back on that person and give them more to do. So I didn't get it quite right. And, there, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail, but there was sort of a, a little... And all I'll say is that the person did come back and do the next show. So yeah. it was all resolved. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just little things where you don't... You misjudge things a little bit. Uh, you know, you don't get it quite right. Um, sometimes due to not knowing the person very well or they didn't give you actually much information or whatever. Um, but going, OK, here's, here's what I... Rather than saying to them, and what can I do? Saying, you know, I, I accept responsibility for it. I'm I'm sorry that it put you in that position and it made you and I I feel bad that you feel like that. Um, here's what I suggest as a way of some options that you can choose from of ways we can go around this and and that might be opening up the process uh, by which I did that thing and showing you the emails that I tried to do to pull off the thing that I didn't quite pull off well enough and now you can see it's transparent and just to say if you have any more thoughts on that please send them back to me but then also not beating yourself up. Yeah. is actually another thing that you can do is say, well, we all make mistakes and that's that's okay. Uh, and yeah, so that was really useful. And just um, other things I've been learning, even just if someone does come and tell you a thing, rather than kind of being sucked into it, you just, just to thank them for it, yeah. actually makes that person, I, I don't know if you've ever, when I've been the person who has to leave the room because they're upset, for example, it's a horrible feeling. You yeah. feel so bad for you feel worse than anybody else in the room, really, because you know 
it's it, it you're yeah you're radiating all that so actually to be to be thanked for um exercising your boundaries is actually a really it, it takes away some of that pressure and and this you know this happened to me in, in the work we've been doing uh in my intimacy direction some of it is really hard going it's really mm. it's really heavy and so that was a revelation to me that when i took myself out of the room in order to preserve myself and feel better when the instructor says to me Firstly, thank you very much yeah. for leaving the room. It's really good that you recognise that. Yeah. And you go, oh, <laughs> great, I've done something right, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it just takes away that rather than, are you all right? What can we... And, it, and then that sort of plumps up that bad feeling. Or it puts you in the victim. Yeah. Like, there's something wrong with you. You can yeah. cope with it and they want to help. But yeah. it's like you were still at And that you're broken it. and you feel, yeah. you know. And actually just say, thank you. Yeah, you've done that. Great. Um, and I think that the thing they told me was, and next time we'd really like you to exercise your... Uh, ability to tell us about that without leaving the room yes. and you go oh great so then you're building resilience yeah. as well uh, and finding different ways to deal with discomfort which kind of come back to the, the discomfort but safety yes you can you can be uncomfortable and you know if you choose to be and if you're working in theatre and that's what you want to do is explore that obviously I'm not saying everyone has to but uh, yeah that it's possible that that is possible and then the other thing that I found as well is this idea of um, just a very practical crossover with improv and intimacy is the idea of offering a counter offer, uh-huh. which I think is really interesting. So uh, I, I haven't yet found a, a proper application of it to improv. I mean, other than just in a warm up scenario, I've yet to find a way to make uh, the negotiation of consent and boundaries live on stage, although I'm sure there's a way to Ooh. check in with your partner but it's very dangerous ground yes <laughs> very precarious ground but yes um i think it's possible and i think it's possible if you have somebody you've worked with a lot to look at ways to signal the initiating of things which if you think about it at the moment when there is kissing in improv i mean people just kiss so, so actually at the moment anything would be better possibly than the non-signaling of it yes i was just thinking <laughs> about how you would signal it on stage mm. um well i don't know there's part of me that thinks first of all if you're not sure don't do it for sure um, yeah 100 yeah <laughs> you know yeah. this is something that needs to be discussed on yes. off stage yes but if it was to happen on stage i don't know whether it's just the speed at which you move so if you're doing so. something it's really clear what you're doing and mm. you're giving somebody plenty of mm. chance to mm. give you feedback yeah, don't do it. But if you yeah. have to do it, something like I, that. I think, for example, um, you know, I th- it actually works quite well in a Shakespeare context because you can definitely say, um, uh, my, my lord, a, a kiss upon thy cheek. Well, no, mistress, no, mistress, yeah. a kiss upon my hand. Right. You know, and, and that's a counter offer. That's an yes. example of offering back something else. And that can be as the, as the actor but justified by the character. Yes. And it becomes a justifiable character decision. Yes, of course, um, the best thing to do is to ask. Yes. Possibly yeah. also true of real life. It, it doesn't well. jar as much in yes. a Shakespeare yes. language, yes. you know, to yes. say, yes. oh, good mistress, I would plant a kiss <laughs> upon thy cherry lips right this moment. Good sir, I would have thee plant a kiss upon my shoulder, for it's not the shoulder, the lips of the whatever. You know? <laughs> um, yes. it, it, it works yeah, in a Shakespeare, yeah, 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 yeah. whether in a more contemporary, uh, sort of more realism. But I do think there is a way of doing it, of saying... I, I, I want to kiss you right now is, is that 
can I? <laughs> and turn it into... But who's actually... You're only modelling very good real-life yes. asking. Yes, no, this <laughs> is very good, yes. Um, uh, yeah, like harder if the established characters are in a more... In a relationship where perhaps it wouldn't be asked uh, verbally. But, mm. but I do think there are ways of initiating moves, you know, the, the, the reaching out of the hand to someone's face... Yes. ...is a good preemptive thing that can then be... Yes. Dealt with with a hand on the you know or taking the hand away can still be tender. Yes. The other person taking the hand away can yeah, still be tender. Yeah. Obviously, it's a conversation to have with your teen, and yes. everyone knows this. But um, yeah, so so this sort of counter offer thing I find really interesting of the sort of in a warm up scenario, uh, you know, may may I, I place may I place my hands upon your head. Uh, yes, but only for three seconds. Right. Yes. Is a negotiation, and yes. so just anything that opens up that dialogue is is very valid, and also just quite creative. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Can we? Can we? Um, can I put my hand uh, on your over your eyes? Uh, no, but you can put your hands over my ears. Great. You know, there's negotiations and adjustments that you can make. Um, that is very yes and or yes however. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's the the two the characters that are doing that they are connected they're they're in the scene together and you know yeah there's you know, with that negotiation it's still really interesting to watch because you're learning mm. about the character as, mm. as as they do it. So yeah, I've also introduced doing um like a, a body map like a body scan so ah. again it's very cringy I think for English people to do <laughs> but um, it shouldn't be and my, my reasoning for it is is that even if you end up I think people get very overwhelmed so it's, it's essentially where you'd go through and be like today uh, with this partner fine for you to touch my hair uh, don't want you to put any hands in any holes <laughs> any fingers in any holes no no fingers in my ears I've got my fingers in my ears right now listener. Uh, <laughs> you know uh, fine with shoulders fine with arms not fine with anything that's a bikini area you know all that kind of thing mm. but I think some people when I've done that have got overwhelmed by the amount of data and info that that right. gives you because yes. you suddenly go oh, I can't remember what I can and can't do but you think well actually a minute ago you had zero data yes. <laughs> and you were still going to do this scene yes but now you know that this person is fine with um an arm around the waist you know that this character this person is fine with uh having their hair ruffled and so now, so I then, you know, would get them to kind of summarise three things they can remember that are go-ahead oh, things. Because yes. it's not all about what you can't do. Yeah, Forget, yeah. you know, you can use your common sense for a lot of things that you know you can't do. Yes. Um, but now you know three things that you can do that you didn't think you could do. That's really interesting. You can ruffle their hair. They're fine with actually a hand on the buttock in the right context, which is one that, you know, has come up before that... Is quite interesting, which I would obviously presume that that's not okay. But if I know that it is the scene we're about to do, if that were to come to that, or if there's an opportunity for me to ruffle your hair, I know I can. Like that's wonderful. That is because there have been too many scenes that I've seen with improvisers, you know, being in romantic relationships and they're stood six foot apart yeah. from each other on stage. Yeah, because they don't want to take that risk, and rightly so. And rightly so. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned the the, the buttock. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the context. Yes. So you say. Well, I'm talking about established teams, really. I right. mean, in in improvised Shakespeare, in improvised Shakespeare, it. I know that I'm very comfortable with my 
my scene partner it's never happened but I'm holding out <laughs> in hope maybe one day I'll get a cup of the buttock <laughs> in the correct context <laughs> but you know it, it would be a shocking move for an audience to see you know you could have a Beatrix ben- uh, Beatrice Benedict type scenario <laughs> where she receives I, you know in context a, 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 a tap on the buttock and it is fine, and it, and I love that because then the, you know if you were rehearsing and scripting something, you might well, yes. if it were well placed, put that in the scene. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think an audience in an improv show would be very shocked and surprised to see that happen. Yes. But then even more shocked and surprised to realise that was all okay because we consented <laughs> to it previously. Yes, I suppose, um, I suppose it would have to be, you know. Yeah, uh, it would be I, very well justified. You, yeah. So. <laughs> But also, I wouldn't want the audience. No, you'd have to you'd have to convey that this is this is I'm cool with this. Yeah, um, this is fine because you yeah. don't want us to have the audience worrying about you. But then I sort of yeah no you're right you are right but I sort of get a bit of an excitement out of going ha ha you didn't know but we <laughs> <laughs> you're right they should they shouldn't worry but um, maybe maybe I'm backing off on the buttock option <laughs> maybe but yeah yeah even. Even with the, even with kissing, you know, because kissing happens in in some shows. Yes. I think it can still be done more. Uh, it yeah. There's there's things. I mean, for a start, there's all sorts of non-contact kissing options. Yes. That uh, work really well to kind of give a more because you know oftentimes the kiss is not sustained because it can't be because it's improv it's an improvised kiss therefore it's a real kiss so you know. <laughs> uh, it's not sustained whereas you can kind of actually with some techniques create far more of like a, a passionate sustained messier looking kiss yes. but actually with zero contact and just using kind of hands and, and and things like that um it can be done i just can't reveal my secrets no fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but um, i'm kind of i'm interested in exploring that because i think that that could create some really interesting especially i'm kind of always looking through the shakespeare kind of lens um yeah, and just simple things like creating kind of areas. So you know, if if there's a a kissing embrace happening, your scene partner knowing that you're absolutely fine with being touched on your back, and uh, again, maybe all the way down to the buttocks. We never know, um, <laughs> and that you're fine with that, and that that can be improv improvised movement within that area that you've been right. Yes. Told you know, yes. um, and none of this is an exact a- applied. Uh, science at this stage but it's stuff that i'm keen to yes look at the crossover yes it's the start of, of the conversation yeah definitely mm. cool so if someone were to step on stage of you what could they do to delight you apart from the contextful buttock? <laughs> <laughs> um what could they do um they could init- uh, they could yeah shock me Ooh. shock me with something that they say or do or the yeah the the platform that they create could be really shocking or surprising or uh debalancing what sort of things shock you <laughs> just to make me just to make my character a terrible person oh, or, yes. <laughs> or um something really dark to happen or something where I'm I'm feeling slightly on the back foot 
So that, so slightly. That happened to me. I did a, a, an emotional honesty workshop with Chris Mead, oh. and um, I was doing a scene, and my scene partner cast me as this dreadful kind of caddish um, boyfriend, mm. and I found myself saying, you know. Terrible things, <laughs> not terrible, terrible things, but but just sort of things I would not normally say in a scene or in real life, you know, such as, you know, you like the fact that I don't call you and, you know, yeah, you, yeah, know, the, you, know yeah. you, you found this exciting when we got together, what's the problem with that now? All this sort of stuff that I would never say either as a character or as me. And yeah, it was just, yeah, yeah it's really interesting being, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it can be quite a thrill, can't it? Yeah. To play away from type, but, yes. but to be allowed to and yes. for... And for that other person to 100% commit to that. Yes. I'm um, picturing Katie Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. So I'd be, I'd be, yeah, I'd be well, I, the, the, the permission was given because this, you know, it wasn't my initiation. Mm. She, you know, she'd cast me as this. So, uh, mm. yes. Yeah, I love that. I love detail as well. Mm. You know, um, just specificity. Yeah, use a brand name, say Kellogg's mm. cornflakes rather than just cornflakes or yeah. something like that. Or, yeah, or even just referring to like things that embroider detail into the life mm. and history of that relationship or that that character, um, which I you know is the opportunity to then borrow things from life, isn't oh, it? Oh yes, oh, I love that. That sort of yeah, Auntie, Auntie Carol's had to sell her caravan. Yeah, yeah. Well. Uncle Uncle Kenneth uh, has lost his job at the you know yeah. <laughs> at the tire factory. Yeah, they're keeping money in that little grey pot on the mantelpiece. <laughs> yeah, I love it when when you can take things from real life and just yeah chuck them into a scene. That's mm. yeah, it's much easier than inventing stuff. Mm. Inventing stuff's hard. Yeah, just, you can meld it all in, can't yeah. you? So it never actually becomes too close to anything. No, because you just yeah. I actually uh, at work at the um, college that I work at I work at a performing arts college and at the beginning of the session we all have to check in and hear what all the young people have done at their weekend obviously they love telling everybody about that but more often than not I've just worked or slept or done nothing so actually I often just improvise a wonderful weekend that I've had because it's just too tragic to just say well I worked and then I went to some shopping and then I tidied out my under the sink cupboard (laughs) so I did invent something last time and nobody knew (laughs) because nobody cares (laughs) that's why yes yes, it seems important to you but everyone else is just just care about themselves and their own lives which I don't know if that's reassuring or depressing that's probably reassuring yeah. uh, cool alright big final question mm. big final question what is your signature move what oh. is it you do on stage that everyone goes oh. uh, classic Lucy <laughs> saves the day brings the house down I, I know what I think I want this to be but I know what it actually is well I'd like so to hear I, both please okay um, so what I would like to, what I would like it to be <laughs> is just like um, pathos just devastating pathos what I think it is is what her, my girlfriend has termed getting your bum out <laughs> <laughs> which is any sellout move that is in the gutter absolutely awful <laughs> grimy um, shock factor yeah getting your bum out 
<laughs> so I think, to be honest, if I had a book, it would be Lucy Fennell getting your bum out. <laughs> and uh, I think that is the perfect moment for me to say thank you for being a guest on thank the Improv London podcast. Thank you for having podcast. me. <laughs> Max Improv! <laughs> <laughs>